Alrighty. Ugh. Did I miss any blanks this morning? <laughs> Who did? Sarah? That's probably what happened. Blessing, difficulty. You weren't that late. No, I know. Sorry, sorry. Okay, which one? Three what? From his mouth to our your tongue. Be not just a recipient, but a conduit of grace. Oh, your heart's treasure yields public dividends. That one? All right. Difficulty. No problem. Two A and B, source and authors. Possessive S, authors, not plural. In case there's confusion, sorry. Okay. Um, any other blanks? Okay, questions, thoughts. Zeb, are you going to give me grief for saying synergy? Are you going to give me grief for saying synergy? Like synergy from the Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about it. Thought you might. Okay. Oh, I don't think so. I was talking to Daniel in preparation beforehand about this. I don't go. Absolutely, yes, yes. No, I knew when I thought of saying that Zeb would, yeah, no, no. Um, so let me, let me define terms. So, moner, so when you're talking about monergism and synergism, synergy, um, you're talking about agency, people active involved in things versus passive. And so we, we rightly hold that salvation, in salvation, we believe, yet God is the one doing all the work, all the activity. He is adopting. He is redeeming. He is justifying. He is indwelling. He is reconciling. He is uniting, right? And, and so we believe, and we, we even see that faith is his gift, but God is the active person in salvation. We look to Christ, raised up, and we're saved, and he does, he's active. And I, I think there's no way you can define sanctification that doesn't have us active. If you then insist we're only active because he moves within us, then everything in the universe is monergism. The Holocaust is monergism. I mean, it's meaningless at that point. Like, of course, we live in a world where we only act and move because God enables us to act and move. Are we doing anything in sanctification? Yes, we are. That's all I mean to say. Like, we are doing things as much as we ever do things in sanctification. I, my only concern, you got this? Okay, 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 yeah, yeah. My argument isn't in that regard so much as the, it is that I think it's just a confusion in terms because really monergism and synergism in theological terms is is like in dealing with salvation. Who does the work in salvation? So I think throwing it into the throwing it into the sanctification discussion 
is a uh, I think that it ends up confusing just muddying the waters unnecessarily okay. that's my that's okay. my okay. that's the long and the short of my so you don't disagree of it. as much as no you I don't disagree that way of presenting yeah I don't okay. disagree that it's a that like we do act in our in our sanctification I'm not arguing about that point. Okay. I'm arguing that the terminology of monergism and synergism should really be reserved resolved reserved sorry to the issue of um Justification. Uh, yeah, justification. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay. So, so the balancing act is always um, when you're dealing with these things, you can go on one side where it's all man's effort, and you will end up with a sort of legalism, um, with a sort of uh, just do your hard work, just stiff upper lip, just put your energy into it. And you'll achieve it. And what you'll do there is you'll come away with one of two results. You'll either despair, because that isn't how people get sanctified, or you'll dumb down God's law and his holiness to something you can achieve, which is what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees just simply made it something that they could do. Um, those aren't good. The other side, though, is basically just waiting till God moves your heart, waiting till God works within you, um, letting go, letting God. It used to be popular in Keswick theology. And... It's been revitalized recently by uh, some of the hyper grace movement, Tuli and Tajiki and some of those guys. It is absolutely crazy. I was just reading up on it. Oh, his name. Oh, Tuli and what? Say it again. Tuli and Tavigian. Okay. Um, no, but no, but this is the sort of like, look, stop working. Just look to Christ. Just trust Christ. Just, you know, stop trying to do things. Just call out on God. As if that's an opposition to doing things. Part of what I'm trying to show in like today's text is he's calling out and he's saying I'm going to do stuff. Like it's not the either or. Um, so if you just want to let go and let God, that that's unbiblical and insufficient as well. There is within today's text complete awareness. I need you to direct my feet. I need you to teach me. And I'm going to bust my tail. I'm going to memorize your word. I'm not going to forget it. I'm going to dwell on it. I'm going to, there's a bunch of things I'm going to do. Clearly not earning it. If I do these things, will you teach me? But if they're in concert, God is teaching me even as I'm committing to meditate on his word, right? So that's, that's I think, the point we want to get is a healthy pursuit of holiness it recognizes our limitations, recognizes our weakness, recognizes our need, and it recognizes um, the need for diligence and hard work um so any questions on that just because sometimes in different christian circles there can be an overemphasis on one side or the other um we're all good yes yes ma'am so i is that working okay um for me i think it's real important to call out more for a greater measure of god's holy spirit yeah. to enable me to yeah. do my part no, and, and that's, that's entirely true. Depending on where you're at and your temperament, you probably need to hear um, one side of that equation more than the other. You know, um, Well, let's start. There's probably three errors. There's some people who just think holiness is optional, and that's an error. Like, well, it doesn't matter. And so hopefully even more last week, like, no, no, it's kind of, it's kind of a big deal. A pursuit of holiness, at least. The, the, the desire, the, the, the fight of faith is, is commanded and it's how we prove and know we're Christians. You know, um, it's one of the ways. And then in our pursuit of holiness, some of us may need to hear, like, you actually need to do something. Like, you actually might need to put something in your calendar. You might need to actually schedule things. 
other people who are assertive, you know, hardworking people might need to be also remember and need to spend some time calling on God to help, to work in your heart, to direct your steps, His Holy Spirit to open your eyes. Yeah, depending on which of your, it's like which one of those is more important. It's like which wing of the plane is more important. Um, So for each of us, it might be I need to spend, maybe it's both. I need more effort and a greater awareness of my need of the Spirit. So absolutely, absolutely. And so it's less of a one-size-fits-all. This is what it looks like, figuring out where you're coming short, where your your short spokes are, and try to develop that. Um, questions, thoughts from there? No other questions. Oh, you you do? No? Oh, you're just looking at me. Okay. Okay. Then um, let's talk about scripture memory for a few minutes. Um, it, it's sadly a uh, discipline that's the the printing press has done a lot to, to nerf because for a lot of us, the way education is moving, even, even um, in schools and stuff, is less to know things and, and more to know how to get a hold of things. So my mother had a book she was reading called The Dumbest Generation Ever. And it was basically just measuring what do high school graduates know, by and large, today versus what they knew 50 years ago. And I was reading in a, a, a Christian journal that I no longer subscribe to a rebuttal to the book. And the book was saying, it doesn't matter what you know. Today's youth need to know where to find it. They need to know you go to this website or you go over here to get this. That is... Whether that's right or wrong, and I think that's profoundly wrong, that is a radical new definition of what it means to be educated <laughs> that nobody 50 years ago would recognize. Um, and so because of that, because of the nearness of books, most of us probably have two or three Bibles, right? There's a, the, the urgency of I need to internalize it can shift to I need to be able to know how to find it which isn't a bad thing. I underline my Bibles and I write notes places and stuff so I can find things quickly. But before the printing press, you either memorized it or you didn't have it. And I'll remind you again, Psalm 119 is in acrostic format precisely to aid in memorization. So God thought, my people will be memorizing Psalm 119. Let's make it a little easier for them. So... So the discipline of memorization, I think, is is an important one, both so that if you memorize scripture, no matter where you are, what you're doing, you're able to meditate on it. You're able to think about it. If you memorize scripture, when you fall under temptation, you can, the Holy Spirit can bring to mind, it is Jesus, it is written, right? If you have memorized scripture, when you're talking to someone, it can be on your lips and on your tongue, and you can speak the words of life to other people. Uh, for all those reasons, and I'm sure more, the memorization of God's word is, is a really, um, I think, minimized discipline and spiritual practice. Yes, sir. Microphone. In uh, defense of those of us that have dyslexia, and there's different levels of dyslexia, that can be very hard to memorize. And... I memorize without trying sometimes. Like you hear John 3.16 so much, it's, yeah. it's memorized. It. Yeah. 
And I'm one of those, even though I'm older generations, I do a lot of uh, uh, looking up stuff on the web and so on mm. in conjunction. But memorizing is very good. I understand that entirely. But there are people that have problems. Oh, oh, yeah. And so I would say the issue is not how much you memorize. Some people are going to have different capacities. But that you give yourself a fair amount of, of your energy, an appropriate amount of energy to the task. And for some people, they're going to, I mean, I was, I went to an Abeka school when I was a kid and they, that educational model was just cram information in. It is amazing to me the things I memorized and still have memorized from when I was a little child. Paul, uh, Longfellow's The Ride of Paul Revere, I could recite nearly the entire thing right now. Um, and so at different ages, at different periods in life, people could have different capacities for memorization. So it's not, you got to memorize 10 verses a week. It'd be more like, why don't you give an hour a week to working on memorization throughout the week? And for some of us, we're going to get more done in an hour than others um, or whatever. I mean, I'm, again, I don't want to make a rule. It's rather this is not a small discipline. This, this is going to benefit in so many different ways and places in your life um, that because of that value, being able to spontaneously in a conversation reference God's word, being able to resist temptation immediately, being able to dwell on it, whatever you're doing for all those reasons and more it's a value and, and put some time and effort into it and we're all going to get different results from our time and effort yes colleen yes i was just going to share that um the the ladies group that i'm part of um and the program is we do have verse memorization that's a element of ours but um and and all of us actually kind of learn it in different ways but for me i've learned that by song um, memorizing by song. Mm -hmm. And so even for the girls or, or even like in Awana, we teach the kids the book of the Bible by song and that yeah. helps them to recall it better. Yeah. And so, um, we've even done that with some of our Awana verses. If you Google or YouTube or whatever, you can find it. Um, oh, there's all and that seems to be an easier way. There's, oh, there's all sorts of ways. Another thing I used to memorize the first chapter of James, you go one word, you go to the next word. So James, James, uh, James, a uh, bond servant, James, a uh, bond servant. You just keep, pressing it on and it's you can you can get things down and, and i go through spurts where i work on memorization more than others i'll be honest i'm not always working memorization i go through spurts um serena and i once memorized all the prayers in philippians we're reading philippians three times a day at every meal we just read philippians and we started memorizing all the prayers there's three or four prayers in philippians um you can there's all sorts of ways just reading and rereading and reading and rereading um practically i'll give people oftentimes Write, write it down. Sometimes you learn by writing. Um, you want to engage your senses. So I'll, if I'm working on memorizing something, I'll usually write it on a 3 by 5 card and throw it in my pocket. And as, as uh, sacrilegious as this may seem, I'd make it a point that every time I go to the bathroom, I'd bust out my, my flashcards and go through them. You know? And so even that, you're going to go through your verses a couple times a day. Most of us are, at least, if you're regular. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yeah. There's all sorts of ways to pursue this type of thing. Yes. Uh, yes, I would just want to say, um, like now, it's getting harder for me. Of course, getting older yeah. to remember, but at the same time, since I've lost my sight, it's even getting more difficult. But I do cherish and pray that the Lord will continue to help me with it because I used to be a visual learner. 
Mm. I'm trying to start to be an audio learner, but I've always, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm giving it effort now. I'm even trying to remember some of Psalms 119, but I always used to keep in my mind that what if I was, were a prisoner and I couldn't have a Bible. And that's why the Lord says to, um, hide the word in your heart. Um, so I'm just, I'm thankful for this conversation because it's something that I'm really praying about dealing with and trying to, um, accomplish. Thank you. Amen. Yeah. How big was your prison Bible be? <laughs> and again, this isn't a measurement of how far you, you got a question or no. Oh, Oh, comment again. The, don't look at this as like, I don't have as much memorized as they do as much as the direction we're moving in. This is a value God puts forward. Let's put some energy into it. And our, what we reap from that energy will be different. What matters is we're faithful in having God's values as our values. So don't make it a grace of, I memorized three verses this week and you memorized one, so I'm doing better than you. It's a matter of pursuit. But yes, your comment. Um, I was just gonna say for me, I need the pressure um, of having, you know, like somebody else I'm going to practice with, you know, and I have a friend where we call each other once a week. <laughs> and I mean, I don't know if I would, I wouldn't be near as disciplined and not that I'm so great, but at dis at doing it, but it really helps me knowing I'm going to meet with this person <laughs> on <Right>. Tuesday. <laughs> no, no, accountability so. <laughs> and performance. That's one of the things that's helpful with Awana is that the kids know they're going to be yeah. tested on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So of course, Wednesday, Half an hour before Awana, they start really studying <laughs> yeah. and working. And, but hey, they're doing it. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, we, we, we used to try to memorize Luke's uh, Christmas account for Christmas. We just read it at the dinner table. And, you know, different kids are going to be able to pick it up at different levels, but, you know, just try to go through. Um, this was the first registration under Corinius, you know, when Corinius was governor of Syria. And Abner and Sophie are actually doing pretty good with it. And Eliana's just mumbling some stuff. But I mean, but everyone's participating and, you know. But, you know, well, you know, it's like when you're trying to sing a song and other words to you're like, um, okay, other thoughts, questions, complaints. Oh, and then in the back, Sarah, well, Jennifer, Jennifer, then Rick. I was just going to ask if you had any um, practical tips on, you know, you might work on a passage at one season of your life yeah. and maybe you work on like a big chunk of it and then you move on to a new passage and like, how do you keep going like a system I haven't figured out like how do I keep maintaining those because they're yeah. out of my brain like obviously the Holy Spirit can still use it you, yeah, yeah. you put it in there at one point but yeah. how do you still balance the whole like continuing forth your Bible reading working John, on old passages working on new yeah. John Piper had some helpful comments on this because you're right because you're, you're working on passages but you're probably gonna lose passages as you gain new ones but what you'll find is the ones you've memorized in the past will be much easier to re-remember so as he, they have a whole Viterverse series. He will, he has like a list in the Macros Bible passages he's memorized, and let's go rehearse some of these. And maybe we're going to be more focusing on ten of these in this month, trying to make sure they're fresh and strong. But passages you've once memorized, you'll have an easier time memorizing a second or third time if you want to go back and refresh. So it's not that you got to hold on to everything because you're going to be focusing on these texts, these pat. And you're going to realize, I totally forgot, or I could sort of bungle my way through that, but I can't anymore type of thing. So it's keep, if you keep track of what you've been memorizing, you can go back and dust off and refresh um, and just understand the way God designed our minds, we're going to lose stuff. It's going to happen. It's, you know, it's 
I don't know if that helps. Let's see if I can find the link to where he talks about that. He did an entire sermon once where like the first three quarters of it, it was just him quoting the Bible. It was pretty cool. You, you've heard that one, right, Alex? Yes? No? Oh, I'll, I'll dig it up. It's, it's cool. Um, he's not trying to show off. He's just like, it's was, it was cool. Um, but uh, keep just keeping track of what you have. And also different seasons of life, different passages might be what you need to be focusing on. I mean, it, there's a relationship. I'm con- I, if you're a believer, you should be aware of where you're growing and where you're struggling and where you're trying to please the Lord in. Well, that's probably going to direct what passages um, you're going to be focusing on. Um, and so as your walk shifts, what's in your mind and what you're thinking about is going to shift. And that's natural in the way things are. Yes, mi- microphone up here. Mm. The statement um, that you made this morning about uh, challenge, well, not challenging, but um, evaluating how we pursue a higher education and, you know, the value that's put behind that, we ought to have the same value when it comes to God's word. And I think that's sort of um, been diminished um, in the past, you know, I guess 50, 60 years, maybe even longer, that it's, you know, you, people will put a lot of time and effort into getting um, a secular education, which we should, because you want to you know, do the best that you can, or you have a, a goal that you're trying to pursue. But in the same way, I think we, um, you know, need to realize, and, and I think it needs to start at the church. I, I think it's something important that we need to bring out. People need to be made aware of that, not in a guilty sense, but in a sense of, you know, okay, you finished your education, you've got your career now. Well, let's work on, you know, um, putting God's word uh, and, and being the emphasis um, of our life because, you know, we're always relearning. And I think we live in a time where uh, people have problems uh, memorizing things because you got podcasts, you got radio, you got television. I mean, it's just so many things coming at you and you're trying to um, memorize, but then, you know, you get distracted. I know I do. You get well, distracted on other things. Well, and if this makes you feel at all better, it's not a cultural value. So different cultures are going to value different traits and so people are going to cultivate them and so um in an oral culture memory is hugely valued and so consequently the entire culture is much more regularly working on it because you either got what you have what you memorized you either got or you don't and that's it and so i think you see that in kings talking about solomon had his on his lips three thousand proverbs mm. well that's supposed to show what a mark of wisdom but that's only that's only impressive in a culture that values memorization and the internalization. For us, we'd think, oh, that's cool. Maybe you can show up to church one Sunday morning and recite it. That'd be cool. But it's not, what a wise man. What a, what a godly man. Rather, that's odd, you know, because our culture doesn't value that. So it helps when the entire culture is valuing something. And so from birth upwards, you, you see this as a good thing. Um, nowadays it's reading, you know, if, if you can't read, you're not on the internet, you're not on podcasts, you're not blogging, well, you can do podcasts, but, but literacy is valued, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the internet and social media is valued. So different things are valued. And so different skills come with that. So living in a non-oral age, it, it is pushing against the current to try to do this because you're not going to see much in the culture that's going to encourage or evaluate that, value that. You, f- yeah. Fair enough. Well, I think we... Okay. I think when you're even looking at 
our um, society today, the um, dumbing down of people being able to read. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not um, in many schools. Uh, um, phonics is not being taught. Uh, you know, I go back to, you know, uh, you know, the early uh, mid 1900s when in the black church, uh, a lot of people couldn't read. So it was more of, um, if you know, if the preacher was literate, then he would, um, you know, call and response. Um, that's how a lot of songs were done. Um, there would be uh, scripture memorization. People would hear the sermon. The preacher would read it. And then, you know, people would remember that. They, you know, they would, they would um, put that in their memory. It would be something that was important because, you know, you, you weren't able to read it. So I think this is a, a thing that we look at and, and see e- even in, here in the United States when those two different uh, aspects of the church, because uh, I got saved in a church, the Three Will Baptist, and we used to recite the 100th Psalm every, yeah. <laughs> yeah, every Sunday we used to recite the 100th Psalms, and yes, I did get saved there. <laughs> well, no, there's other tools, but, like yeah. catechisms, of, but I think, I'm guessing most here, if you hear catechism, if you know what that is, not most, I wouldn't be surprised if many here would think, oh, that's kind of legalistic. Mm. But catechism is another fantastic way of memorization. The question and answer format. We've been working with our kids. Who made you? God made me. Why did God? What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make you in all things? He made me for his glory. How can you glorify God? I can glorify God by loving him and keeping his commandments. Why should you glorify God? Because he loves me and takes care of me. You go through. Now, they don't understand that. But they're committing it to memory. And they're committing to memory truth. And then when they're older, we start taking one or two of those questions at dinner and we start talking through it and going through the biblical proofs of it. But there's been all sorts of tools. You talk about other ways to remember things. Catechisms, fantastic. I mean, you've got to get good catechisms. But um, they're very... Because you go through that 50 or 100 times, you just go through this, people are going to remember it. People are going to... Yeah. yeah. Sir. Another comment. So... Mm on the motivation for memorization. Um, Early on, as I was being discipled, uh, I was asked, Tim, what does God's word say on what is going to last forever? Mm. And, you know, where should my values be? So in thinking through that, it was God, the souls of men, in the Word of God. And so, where do you want to invest your time, Tim? Yeah. In God, the souls of men, in the Word of God. So as I'm memorizing, I'm spending my time on something that's going to last forever. Right. Right. Amen. Amen. Any other questions on that before we go to other... Oh. oh. This another quick comment about memorization. Yeah. Uh, I think it's in, in Hebrews four because I I searched it because you know oh, no. it says for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and I know they didn't have chapters and verses, but this kind of indicates he'd memorized a word, but he didn't know exactly where it was. Right. No, that's 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 like a contrast with Mitchell and myself. I can tell you usually where things are in chat. I don't know the verse numbers hardly ever. Um, I'll, this is somewhere towards the end of chapter seven. Mitchell's fantastic. No, Mitchell completely impresses. No, 
true. Um, I could tell you things that don't impress me, but right now I'll tell you things that do. And Mitch, I've hey, sweared. Hey, don't butter me up. I like margarine. Okay, okay. Uh, no, but, but no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm with you. I, I, I can. But I'll tell you another thing that's helpful. In my household, we have a rule. If you can't quote it, look it up. And so you don't know how often you think you're quoting it. Oh, I got to look it up. And my wife would be like, you know the rule? And we'd go, we got to look it up. We keep our kids to it. Nine times out of ten, just reading it settles the issue. Because someone, isn't there a verse somewhere that says something about it? Okay, quote it or look it up. You know, and, and so that's been a really helpful um, principle for me. It does guard you on two things. It guards you from twisting scripture because your poorly remembered version might have some error in it. And it just gets you back to familiar with the Bible. Look it up, quote it or look it up, quote it or look it up. Um, has been helpful. Let me let me talk like you were saying about grammar. I got invited into the homeschool's co-op uh, a few years ago to speak to the, the students about English grammar. And one of the things that I I said was the reason why grammar matters. Grammar, um, parts of speech, um, syntax matters. So God has chosen to reveal Himself propositionally. He's chosen to reveal himself in words. And what that means is, um, and we're all going to be different levels of skill when it comes to utilizing language, your skill and your precision at language will directly limit your ability to know God. The worse of a language user are, if since God has revealed himself in words, the better you are linguistically, the more skilled you are linguistically, the more you'll be able to know of him and his will and his word. And the 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 if, if we came across a people group that were non-linguistic, I don't think such a group exists. I don't know how. I, I would be hazard to think they couldn't know God until that changed. I mean, I mean by linguistic, I'm not saying they speak, but no, like, whether it's pictographs or braille or what, if these are, if you could even imagine a non-linguistic people, um, I don't think I can. I don't know how, because all I can do is God, tell them or write to them or however it's going to be who God is. So God has chosen to reveal himself not not in a DVD or a Blu-ray, but in words, spoken words. And so if you want to know God, you need to be able to access that somehow. And if you want to know God well, you need to be able to do that better. And so uh, that's why grammar matters. Jesus makes arguments, most notably when he silences the Sadducees, that are really tight grammatically. It's not just the general gist that matters. Remember when he says to them, they, they come to him, it's in the temple, uh, it's in Luke 21, and they, they, they give him the bogus question. There's a woman, she married a brother, he died, she married the brother, he died, seven brothers, whose, whose wife is she in the resurrection? And, and Jesus' um, response to them is stunning in, in how he reasons with them. In fact, go to Matthew's account. Matthew, oh, let's go there. Matthew. Um, where is it? Where is it in Matthew, Mitchell? See, this is when I'm unimpressed. There you go. Um, no, it's like 28, I think. Hold on, I'll find it. Um, I think it's 28. What? What? No, not 28. Oh, it's the last chapter. Okay, sorry, not 28. Um, hold on, I got it underlined here. I'll find it. Um, Matthew, he, he makes the same argument in, um, in Luke, but it's clearer in Matthew. 
Um, where is it? Let me look it up. So we can't quit it. Look it up. Um, There it is. Thank you. So, okay. So here's, here's a point where grammar matters. I'll, I'll argue grammar matters. Jesus is going to silence the Sadducees. And if you don't understand grammar, you won't even understand his argument. Um, 23. Matthew 22, 23. The same day, Sadducees came to him, who say there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So too, the second, down to the third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died in the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. They're coming to Jesus with a form of argument called reductum bidsertio. Um, they don't believe in the resurrection. So you might wonder why they're asking a question about the resurrection. They are trying to, what they're attempting to do is to show the resurrection, the doctrine of the resurrection is absurd, they think. Because if there were a resurrection, you would have scenarios where a woman would be married to seven men. And that clearly is absurd. It's the, it's the line of the argument. So they're trying to show um, why they think the resurrection is a, a irrational doctrine. And so they come up with this bogus question. And Jesus first answers their bogus question when he says, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they're like angels in heaven. So no problem. Marriage is for this epoch only. It does not continue into eternity. So no problem. Now watch him the next bit. As for the resurrection of the dead, so he's, he's dealt with their reductum absurdio argument. He's dealt with their bogus question and said, there's no problem. Now let's talk about the resurrection from the dead. Um, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. And when the Pharisees heard that he'd silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. So whatever Jesus just did, astonished the crowd and silenced the Sadducees. And the nature of his argument is entirely a tight grammatic argument. Let me, let me unpack for you how Jesus just silenced the Sadducees. Premise one, it is written, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and um, I'm the God of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sorry. Does anyone know where he's quoting? That's going to matter. Where's he quoting? Burning bush. Burning bush, Exodus 3. Yes. Okay. So in Exodus 3, the angel of the Lord appears to Moses and says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, that's premise one. Premise two, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. If both of those premises are true, Jesus is saying, the resurrection is proven. The only way that's true is if you note the angel of the Lord at the burning bush did not say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I am. And if... So the entire argument hinges upon the tense of the verb to be. Jesus says, whoa, 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 don't you realize the angel of the Lord 400 years after Abraham died says, I am Abraham's God, not I was? God's not the God of dead people. He's the God of people that, that live. If the angel of the Lord says, I am Abraham's God, then Abraham somewhere is, in other words, right? 
To which you can imagine saying, whoa, 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 Jesus, being a little, being kind of a grammar Nazi here, isn't, the, isn't just sort of the gist of it what matters. But I want you to notice, not only is Jesus reason this way tightly, grammatically, all of his people listening do as well because they get the argument. The crowd is astonished. They're, whoa! And the Sadducees are silenced. So everybody else recognizes this is a perfectly legitimate way to reason from Scripture. So Jesus models it, and all of his contemporaries recognize its legitimacy. So one of the things I want to do when I'm interpreting Scripture, because what I'll get sometimes, especially from more liberal sources, is, look, you guys are being a little too nitpicky about grammar and stuff. Like, okay, no, fair enough. Am I? I don't think so. I'm trying to read my Bible like Jesus reads his Bible. He apparently reads it pretty literally. Um, so grammar matters. If you can't understand, if a person didn't understand the difference between present tense and future tense, I am, I was, if that distinction didn't make sense to you, you wouldn't be able to understand what's going on here. And fair enough. But understand that your ability to understand grammar is going to directly affect your ability to understand this. And, and so on with so many other things. So I want to keep getting better in my understanding of language. I want to be a better language user. I want to speak it more clearly so I can speak the words of life to people. And I want to understand it more clearly. And since God is linguistic, um, Jesus is the word. The Trinity has always been an inter-Trinitarian fellowship. Then I want to grow in my skill as a language user, both to communicate and to understand. So... Anyway, that's a that's a little aside. Sir, yes. Make sure you're on. Yeah. You are. So can you um, sort of elaborate on when the crowd was astonished and from that time backwards when they when this was read, what would have been their understanding? I mean, just I mean, I'm just sitting here listening to it and I mean, I've read the scripture before, I've heard yeah. it preached, but the way you've just explained it, it's like they were dumbfounded in the dark. Didn't yeah, know, right. didn't understand. It was like, I think Jesus, you've heard it read, and yeah. I am, and it's... Right. I, I the think, lights went on. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's exactly that. No one... They, they recognized the validity of the argument. It's not that they said, now, wait a sec, what? They had never considered that until Jesus... Hey, you got... I mean, maybe it's tied up in the fact that I am is god's covenant name mm. and so you stop thinking of its implications as the ising being one I, I mean it's sort of an impossible conjugation of to be is god's covenant name and um so maybe they just were so i mean we know the jews wouldn't even say they say the name like even today it's hodu l'shem praise to the name it's too sacred to say Maybe they hadn't given it sufficient thought. They, their jaws, you get the idea that when Jesus made this argument, they went, whoa, I'd never seen that. Their jaws dropped. But they recognized its validity. They didn't challenge him saying, oh, come on, Mr. Grammar, chill out. <laughs> um, they, they recognized it. This, the, and the Sadducees had no response or rebuttal. When the, look, look at verse 34. When the Pharisees heard, he had silenced the Sadducees. So the Sadducees were just like, they get nothing. Um, so I don't know why they had not considered that before. Now, most Jews did believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not. But that's what makes them distinct as a group. Um, they were kind of the social gospel people. 
the, the Pharisees or the fundamentalists and the Sadducees. So the Sadducees are only interested in religion and the benefits it gave you here and now. That's mm. why I say the sort of social gospel side. Mm. The only benefits and purpose of this faith is for here and now. Um, the Pharisees were the, the Bible study, Bible group, synagogue in every town people. Um, and so they're your two poles, the liberal wing and the sort of the conservative wing. And there's ditches on both sides of the roads, <laughs> not surprisingly, right? Um, but yeah, I, I don't know why the crowd hadn't thought that before. But that's Paul makes a similar grammatical argument in uh, Galatians about whether or not the word seed is singular or plural. Remember that one where he says, mm -hmm. that says this promises to seed. Not seeds, but seed. seed. Mm -hmm. um, well, wow. Okay, Paul, you're kind of, you're taking it kind of precisely there, huh? Yeah. Yep. So the, the statement when Jesus makes in, um, on the Sermon on the Mount, if the darkness, if the light that's in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I mean, couldn't that be sort of the understanding that even the under, even reading the scriptures and having it, Without the Holy Spirit is darkness. Right. No, and that, and that I'd say is tied in this morning is both. You want God to teach you. That doesn't mean sit back. Sometimes you'll talk to people, especially people who are in the more charismatic wing, and they'll almost eschew and minimize grammar, syntax. I just want to be taught by the Holy Spirit. Um, and... I think this psalm makes it clear. Not only am I asking God to teach me, I'm meditating on your word the whole time. It, it's both. Now, I, the error I could fall into is I know how to diagram. I could, my Hebrew's pathetic, but my Greek's decent. And so I can, I can do my grammar, and I can diagram the sentence, and I can figure out the clauses, relationship, and I can do all that without prayer and dependence on the Holy Spirit, and it's going to profit me nothing. But I'd be foolish to say, forget that. I'm just going to ask for understanding. Again, this psalm shows it's both. I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to meditate on it. And you need to teach me. And so God works in and through my trying to be faithful with studying and my, and my dependence on him. And I'd be in error if I said I don't need prayer. I got this covered. But I'd be equally in error if I weren't studying it and just, okay, God, tell me what it means. And so you got to, which wing of the plane? Both. Which blade of the scissors is more important? Yes, right? They both are. Uh, is Is similar. So... Um, and so for me, because every week I'm doing a Bible study of a sermon, I need to be more reminded on the priority of prayer, dependence on God. If I'm, if I'm not careful, I can slip into, I know how to do this. I have the tools. I, but the other side can just be, I don't need any of that stuff. I just got to pray and ask for understanding. Like, okay. Um, I think, I think we're to be doing both. Any other questions on this? I got one other point we can go down if you don't have any other questions. One other thing before we get done, but any other thoughts? Yes, Alex. In the back. Jay Packer, in his book, Knowing God, makes the argument, you know, knowing God isn't just about head knowledge. Yes. And you can see that in, like, the life of John Bunyan, who he didn't even have a high school education. And so like, who's better with grammar, John Bunyan or like most English teachers at a high school or college? Mm. It's like, well, obviously those teachers are probably a lot better with grammar, but that doesn't mean that they'll know God better by reading the Bible. Well, let me press this. Have you read Pilgrim's mm -hmm. Progress? Mm -hmm. Would you argue that Bunyan is skilled or unskilled with language? Uh, he's skilled in his He's in one his of the most way. masterful 
users of language. And I'm not mm-hmm. trying to set up like edu- mm-hmm. I'm not talking about education. I'm talking mm-hmm. about skill, skill using language. Part of that is going to be grammar. Mm-hmm. Part of that. Now, sometimes it's grammar you don't even know. I mean, what's interesting about grammar is we don't. Grammar is after the fact. Grammar tracks what language does. Language is like a river pouring on its course. Language changes, words change their meaning, and then grammarians come after the fact and they try to figure out how it works the way it works. And so we don't speak the way we speak because of grammar. Grammar is a after the fact, a post priori observation on what we actually do. And so plenty of us, for instance, know all sorts of grammar concepts you could never say. I'm not saying you have to know it like give the terms the guild speak. You know whether to say I or me, but I bet you, you probably don't. You, all, nearly everyone here knows when to say I or me, yet I wouldn't be surprised if many of us don't know what um, subject or possessive pronouns are or d- direct or indirect pronouns are. That's what you're doing. You're switching from I, a direct object, to me, an indirect object. You do it naturally. You know when to do it. I'm not saying you need to know the name for that and you need to know the guild speak for that. Mm. But the point is, we all know when to switch from I to me, mm-hmm. um, even if we mess up occasionally. No, no, and, and there are tough cases. When you answer the phone, is Jeremy Kidder there? It is I, this is me. I, mean, I know there's some tricky ones, but for the most part, most of us can do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so grammar at times is simply clarifying what we actually do. I, I would just say John Bunny is an amazing language user. Even if he didn't have the education behind it, fair enough. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying the only place to go is books and diagramming. You want to speak, you want to read, you want to you want to interact with people, but don't downplay the. If you have the opportunity to learn grammar, do it because mm-hmm. it's going to help. Is yep. is all I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. If your point is, please don't think if you can't diagram, you can't use language. Mm-hmm. John Bunyan is a great example of a guy who probably couldn't diagram anything, mm-hmm. and yet. My goodness, that guy could could craft words and, and prose. Mm-hmm. Um, Pilgrim's Progress is phenomenal. Anyway, the the other thing I would say, you know, from the beginning of ABF, we we're talking about people. You know, our culture doesn't value, you know, oral um, memorization nearly as much as like older generations. But I think when we see that in action, like when we see somebody like Jason Nightingale. I was captivated when he would come and recite the entire book of John. And it was like, yeah, I'm totally on board with that. And it almost seems like it's in a class. He's in a class way above, you know, he's in a class by himself because he can do something like that. And I mean, he would encourage, he would have encouraged people to aspire to that and to memorize. But I think when you see it in use, um, like it really is, valued we just don't realize that it's valued until we see it sometimes well let me let me before we break let me give you one other use as a body of believers grow in their knowledge of scripture it enables us in our speech to be far more useful in encouraging people mm-hmm. if i were to talk if, if alex was saying he's going to go talk to someone i say okay make sure you season yours with salt if you know the passage i'm referencing this is that this is the way the bible quotes the bible frequently the bible just grab a phrase Sometimes you'll get those block quotes that are, you know, in your Bible, they'll indent it, and it's a full-length quote. Frequently, it's a phrase, like I just said. Season your with salt, Alex. And that works if Alex, I have to know, I have to know it links with um, Second Peter, right? Mitchell, season your with salt? No? 
There you go. Okay, I'll have to look it up when we get down here. Um, but it's written somewhere. Is that what you said? Yeah, it's written. <laughs> right. Um, so you know what to Anyway. And it also works if Alex knows that passage as well. And so our ability to encourage each other, to point each other back to God's word is greater the more we know. One of the, one of the reasons, if you wonder why, why is it important we gather together and hear God's word, why couldn't you listen to your podcast and your podcast? Because one of the benefits of gathering and hearing is not only you hear it, but you know the person next to you heard it as well. Mm-hmm. And so now, at the very least, you know one thing you have in common, you've both heard, that you could then reference, that you could assume the other person knows what you're talking about, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so you could see someone else here from this morning, later this week, and talk about hiding God's word in your heart and assume they're tracking with you because you heard it, they heard it, and you know that they know that you know that they heard it, right? What? It's like tenant, right? Okay. With that, we'll break. Thank you very much. Godspeed. Good day.